0: Want to be a part of the conversation? Then let us know on the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio.
1: The Freeman Report and James Freeman
0: on today's News Talk Radio,
1: TNT. Hello and welcome to the Freeman Report, which puts the world's leading scientists, Doctors, politicians, and expert commentators, right at the heart of today's news talk and our fight for freedom, liberty, and justice. I'm your host, James Freeman. And on today's Freeman Report, we'll be discussing geopolitics and the very, very real prospect of a new global conflict kicking off just 80 years from the end of the last one that we're constantly told, lest we forget. Now, I've spoken many times on this show of my worries that we are heading in this direction, and I don't think I'm being an alarmist by asking the question, is this inevitable? The conflict in the Middle East has all of the ingredients for escalation. The West has significant military assets in place, and the region is looking very much like a tinderbox at the moment. And one of the dynamics that is rarely talked about in the mainstream press is the intertwined um, relationship that Russia has in the region. Russia, of course, already being in its own conflict with the West in Ukraine. Then there is China, which at some point will very likely make some kind of military move against Taiwan. That, the US is saying, cannot happen. And of course, let's not forget Rocketman, who has continued to defy the international community in his quest to possess weapons that directly threaten the West. North Korea successfully tested a hypersonic glide vehicle that uses solid-fueled engines in the last week, according to the state-run Korean Central News Agency, KCNA. KCNA. And this is the fourth test of weapons using hypersonic technology that can fly at many times the speed of sound and that are highly manoeuvrable in flight, making them almost impossible to shoot down. The North Korea first tested hypersonic missile technology back in September 2021, followed by two further tests in January 2022. However, According to the South Korean military, Sunday's test demonstrates a leap in North Korean technology. And it seems North Korea is not the only declared enemy of the West that is now in possession of the technology. That, in theory, will pose. A real challenge to the missile defences of the US and its allies in bases across the Middle East, across the world, and of course, the homelands of Western countries as well. According to Drew Thompson, a former US Defence Department official, a hypersonic missile that can defeat advanced missile defence systems is a game changer if nuclear warhead technology is mated to it. Iran is also in possession of hypersonic technology with its Futter 2 missile that can fly 15 times the speed of sound and evade anti-aircraft fire. The United Nations restrictions limiting Iran's development of nuclear-capable ballistic missiles expired in October, although it is widely believed that Tehran has been ignoring the restrictions regardless anyway for many years now. The point I'm trying to make is that the military equations of the past between the West and its enemies have changed. And this matters, not just in any potential new war that might materialise. No, it matters because it creates the very context and tensions that act as a catalyst for a new war. Two days ago, the UK announced that it will send 20,000 service personnel to one of NATO's largest military exercises since the Cold War. UK Defence Secretary Grant Shupps, who says the world is at an inflection point at the moment, announced the deployment of Army, Navy and RAF to the 31-nation drill across Europe in a speech this week in London. So what should we make of this? Well, the United States remains the world's largest military spender um, at $877 billion in 2022, which represented 39% of total global military spending that year. It is three times more than the amount spent by China, which is the second largest military spender. The combined military expenditure of countries in Asia and Oceania was 575 billion in 2022, which represented a 45% increase in spending over a decade. And talking about increases, China spent 292 billion um, on its military in 2022, which is a 63% increase over the preceding decade. So, while America is still the world's only superpower, the world is moving rapidly to a multipolar world order, both in economic terms and in military terms. Government ministers around the world are also talking openly of the need for their populations to prepare for an escalation of conflicts around the world. If I'm honest, it is all very depressing. Because of all of the things we mere mortals could influence, geopolitics is right at the bottom of the list. These things are played out over decades, and once certain conditions are in place, it is very difficult to stop things escalating. Like, for example, in the current climate, where we are witnessing a new arms race after a period when America and the West has dominated its enemies militarily. So, is a new world war a foregone conclusion? Well, not necessarily. But as we move away from America being the only superpower, in my opinion, we must see a change in how the West operates and interacts with the rest of the world. There are around 140 elections planned for the world this year. And of course, one of them is the US presidential elections. And maybe that election will deliver the change we need to see a stop to this march to war. Donald Trump has made it no secret that he does not want to continue American hegemony around the globe. And despite his first term being dominated by controversy domestically, on the world stage, he got many things right so to discuss all of this i'll be joined in a moment by two men that need no introductions dr gilbert dr o and tnt's very own basil valentine are both experts in geopolitics so stay tuned for today's freeman report right here in a moment after today's news story with Gemma cooper in a moment As always, if you want to get in touch, then feel free to email me at jamesfreeman at tntradio.live. And as always, get yourself over to tntradio.live and click on the chat icon if you want to engage in the conversation. My name is James Freeman, and this is the Freeman Report for today's News Talk TNT. It's
0: the stuff. It's that division people are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hello,
1: Gemma. It's all a bit depressing today, but, you know, this is what is going on in the world and what we need to talk about um, because people need to be aware of what's going on. But I do find it it is um, quite depressing.
2: Yeah, and unfortunately, I, I can only echo what you're saying and back it up with, a, with some words that have been said in the last hour, which does uh, indicate that World War III, it, it's definitely on the cards. I mean, we, we have a certain generation, we've heard a lot of saber rattling over the years. You know, you and I were teenagers during the Cold War in the 1980s. And, you know, there was a lot of posturing on the global stage, and then the Cold War was over. This does feel kind of entirely different. And uh, a top NATO official, a top NATO admiral, actually, within the last hour, he's just opened a, a meeting uh, in Brussels. It's the NATO military chiefs of defense meeting. It's a two-day meeting today and tomorrow. And The Dutch Admiral Rob Bauer, who's the chair of the NATO military committee, he's very high up in in the NATO military, he's warning now today that uh, the world needs to expect the unexpected. Those are his actual words. Um, He said that the West needs to change its mindset, needs to prepare for anything, and that the days where the past was Plentiful, foreseeable, controllable, and run on efficiency—that's all changed, and everybody who's who's on the the global stage needs to prepare. For war, effectively. He said that within the last hour. Um, so yesterday as well, several experts were warning of the global fault lines that you outlined there. You know, you've got China and Taiwan, you've got the Israel-Palestine conflict. Um, they they could all tip us into World War II quite easily. And I think we're seeing, you know, the actions of Iran over the last 24 hours have just lit this tinderbox further in the in the Middle East. But to have a NATO uh, military chief, a top NATO military chief uh, within the last hour come out and say the world needs to pre- be prepared for the unexpected, uh, prepare for war effectively, I think does add fuel to the fire of what you've just been outlining and what today's Freeman report will be discussing. I mean, I'm with you on the one hand, we, people need to be aware of this information, but what do you, what do we do? I mean, it's very hard not to kind of be frightened in the face of what the Logical outcome could be for for a world war three a global conflict nobody wants to think about that that's the destruction of the human race and the planet in one fell swoop you know you would hope that mutually assured destruction is enough to put everybody from, off from escalating this conflict but we have seen an escalation in the last twenty four hours in the Middle East so who knows what might happen so be a very interesting Freeman report today with two great guests which I know will bring a lot of expertise. To this situation. But as I say, within the last hour, a top NATO admiral has said, be prepared, the whole world, for the unexpected.
1: Yeah, and it is a difficult one, isn't it, Gemma? Because I mean, you're um around the same age as me. You'll remember back in the 80s when you know we had leaflets through the door telling us what to do in the event of a nuclear blast, you know, get yourself under a table or um under a door um frame. Um, to protect yourself, which, quite frankly, um, isn't going to do much. I think that was more designed to frighten us. But this time around, it does actually feel that the threat is more real, I think it was, than back then. Back then, I think it was more of a a, a thing to actually threaten the populations with. But the reason why it's so important that we focus on this, um, despite the fact that it is um, all very, very depressing, and like I said in the introduction there, Of all the things we can control, this one is a really difficult one because we can change the government in the UK. We can change the government in the US. Um, That's slightly different, I think, in the US because they do have the power. But even the US, you know, there are things happening in the world now that seem to be on train tracks that are driving us in a certain direction. Like, for example, the arms race. Um, that is going on at the moment with all these new military technologies, not just hypersonic weapons. Um, there's other weapons as well, whether that's drone technology. But the point is, the equation which has kept us relatively peaceful, certainly between the West and its um, um, enemies in the past, that equation is starting to break down because that that equation has always worked on the fact that the West is so powerful that any country would wouldn't dare Um, to challenge them because you know they were military militarily so strong and they had all the technology well that equation is starting to break down and i do think that puts the world in a very dangerous place because it's not just about how that war would be fought just the mere existence of that breakdown of that equation actually creates the context for war because it creates tensions because america is not happy that other countries have got weapons which potentially threaten it and that Creates an action in itself from the U.S., which takes us closer to war. So, yeah, it it is a very um, worrying time, I think. But the reason I think it's important for us to talk about it is because I think people need to wake up around the world. And you know, the, I'm sure the people of Iran, I'm sure the people of other countries in New, North Korea, they don't want war. They're just like us. Um, they don't want to, you know, to go to war um, with the West. Just like many people in the West don't want to go to war with them. It seems to be this system. Our leaders and you know they've locked horns and they seem to be putting us on a path towards that. When actually, the, I think the majority of people in the world do not want to see that. So we do need to wake people up to the fact that this is going on. Um, to what ends? I don't know whether that's protests all around the world. Um, But we do need to do that. I think it's an important role that um, we're playing here at TNT Radio.
2: But it takes it takes me back to the 80s once again what you just said you remember that classic song by sting he's probably part of the global Elite but we'll leave that to one side you know but um I believe the Russians love their children too that's when we're at the height of the Cold War wasn't it and uh, I do take your point of what you were saying there about fear uh, just before we go to the break because I remember at school you know having nightmares about nuclear war regularly and so were my friends you know and we were all at 13 14 and everything was dominated by the nuclear threat it's funny that this we're not hearing so much about nuclear we're just hearing about world war three a lot but everybody tacitly kind of knows where that will head it, with 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 nuclear. It's a different it's a different feeling, this one. You're right. And it does feel more real. And I don't think that's because we're older. It does feel more real. It feels more strategic. And it feels like it's those at the top. And I don't think anyone at the bottom, I don't think it's the majority. I think any normal person with children and friends and loved ones wants a global world war. I just don't. It's the military who never see any action, ironically. They're all doing it from secret bunkers once things kick off, aren't they? Secret safe bunkers. That's the rest of us that suffer.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, very much so. Um, Thank you for that, Gemma, and that story. Um, God, we're already halfway through the week, aren't we? It's Thursday tomorrow. Really looking forward to your story tomorrow. To the rest of you, stay tuned with me, James Freeman, on today's News Talk TNT. TNT's
0: Patrick Henningsen.
1: Hamza Dahoud was the eldest son of the
3: Gaza Bureau for Al Jazeera, while Dahoud... Who previously lost other family members in Israeli bombing raid and we would say that this is probably in terms of conflicts uh, this many journalists have been lost uh, killed injured in the whole of the Second World War and that lasted uh, a number of years and only in the last three months are we scraping a hundred on the uh, journalist uh, fatality list which is coming Fast and Furious out of
0: Gaza. Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk TNT.
4: God's truth is enduringly true throughout all the generations. It transcends culture. The church is always going to be an embattled people. If it's swimming with the tide, it's not being the church of Jesus Christ. Look to the past, learn from the past because the whole world lies in the power of the evil one.
5: China has more than 200 confirmed cases of coronavirus, it's called. The entire state of California ordered to stay at home. That's 40. California
1: has some of the strictest policies leveled against churches. Gavin Newsom's executive order threatens jail time and a $1,000 a day fine.
5: Government
0: stopping people from going to church, Dr. Fauci. Mm -hmm. Today's News Talk Radio. Now we're talking. TNT.
1: Right. Well, my next guest has been on the Freeman Report several times before. He is an expert in Russian affairs. He's a writer and he worked for the US and European multinationals in the USSR and Eastern Europe for over 20 years. He is an expert on all things Russian. Um, He is, of course, um, Dr. Gilbert Doctorow. Hello, Gilbert, how are you doing? No, thank you for coming back on to give us your expert um, opinions on what is going on around the world. Now, Gilbert, since we um, last had you on the show, obviously a lot's changed in terms of the focus of the mainstream media. Um, everything is about the Middle East now. Um, you know, you could be forgiven for thinking that the Ukraine conflict is all over and done with. Um, but I wonder if you wouldn't mind starting by just giving us an update on what's ha- been happening recently in Ukraine.
3: Well, I think about this old uh, song that the head bones connected to the neck bone and the neck bones connected to the backbone. But all these things are interconnected. It's, uh, and it's difficult and not entirely productive to take them separately. And we'll try to deal with them one by one, but one has to keep in mind that they're all expressions of the same dynamic that is creating chaos across the globe. And is this dynamic that is coming from Washington with substantial assistance from, uh, from London and to a lesser extent from Brussels and Berlin. And the creation of chaos has been used over decades now as an American uh, policy to maintain its global domination. The problem is that with the progression of time over the past few decades, the implementers of this policy have become progressively less competent and less intelligent, not in the IQ sense. The people around Mr. Biden are all quite intelligent, as measured in IQ. And by the degrees that they hold and have have the diplomas on their walls. This is all true. But they are um, blinded by hubris and by an underappreciation of the capabilities of the rest of the world, starting with Russia. Russia remains today one of the least appreciated and understood actors on the world scene in Washington, where the The nostalgia for the Yeltsin years and and Russia on its knees or flat on its back has never gone away. And this has guided American policies towards Ukraine and the war and also uh, policies in the Middle East in a way that are bringing us very close to tragic consequences uh, of a global nature. So I'd, I'd be very happy to talk about each of these um, these separate crisis areas uh, with the um, reminder that they are interrelated since the, the causative factor is back in Washington.
1: Yeah, um, yeah let's start off with Ukraine and what's going on there specifically, Gilbert, because um, we've heard news, haven't we, um, that in the past week that Zelensky has asked Switzerland to host peace talks. Um, but then in the same week, We've also heard that the UK has donated a further three billion dollars to help Ukraine fight um, the war. What's going on there is, you know, it, it it sounds contradictory.
3: Well, there is no contradiction because the peace plans that Zelensky is putting forward are utterly impossible to um, to implement. They are presented presenting terms as if. Ukraine with a victor and not a loser in this in this war. That has been the case from the very beginning. Um, Zelensky drew back from the idea of peace talks in general until he was given um, a very strong nudge by the United States recently to uh, to do something to um, appeal to uh, the the demands of the opponents of further aid to um, to Ukraine within Congress and to appear to be. Um, reasonable, which has not been released over over the last months, so he has now raised the issue of a new peace offensive. But if you look at the details, the, the, he knows, and all the other people who have assisted, who have been present at his presentations, understand full well that there is nothing in this a plan that could um, interest the Russians, uh, who are persuaded by the facts on the ground that they are winning the
1: war. So Gilbert, let's let's break this down a bit. So are you saying there that um essentially this is an empty um not promise, but an empty kind of road that Zelensky's going down, maybe a distraction. Um, you know, if he's and and also I think the second point, so we if you could address that for me. And then the second point, um you know we've heard a lot of all the casualties that ukraine has suffered um the fact that basically it's on its knees um i wonder if you could talk about that a little bit as well you know has ukraine essentially lost this war now
3: it has lost the war but we have to remember that this is a big ship going down i once worked for a corporation called itt the moment i joined we knew that ship was going down and it took eight years for it to sink so it is with Ukraine. We may talk about the battery has taken about 500,000 deaths, but this is still a population, even after the emigration of uh, uh, well, six or eight million Ukrainians to the West and probably to the East. It's still a substantial country with maybe 30 million or 25 million. And so uh, the Russian reports from the field make it clear that the Ukrainian enemy is not to be underestimated, that he receives um, from the West and particularly um, and dangerous um, drones. Uh, they are not the same quantity or the same qualities that the Russians themselves are producing, but still they kill people. And for the Russians, this is not a walk in the Rose Garden. There are, chi- there are cheerleaders uh, in the West in various um, uh, underground uh, uh, news portals, who are daily telling us that in a week or two, Ukraine will sink. That has been going on now for almost the of two years. And those who are making these predictions of in, in catastrophe, imminent catastrophe, catastrophe for Ukraine are making fools of themselves because they are not following the scope and the scale of the conflict. This is an epic conflict. The Russians, have made it clear that their policy is to, um, by attrition, to wear down the Ukrainian fighting capabilities and to do it at least cost to themselves in men and materiel. That is not the way the United States wages war, and it's not um, the way the press presents what the Russians are doing. Instead they say, oh, the line of demarcation hasn't moved very much. No, it hasn't. But a few hundred thousand Ukrainians have worked great that is the essence of the russian approach that is not to say the russians are not losing even if you if you have an eight to one or ten to one um benefit in in the your your deaths versus their deaths um still that takes several tens of thousands of russians have died or been seriously injured in this conflict in two years and that is painful
1: yeah and of course the backdrop to this isn't it like you said russia wants a war of attrition because while it's still fighting ukraine um, it means that ukraine definitely cannot join nato it makes it very difficult to make further strengths or moves in its relationships with the west right gilbert we're going to take a quick break for the news headlines but don't go anywhere because after this break i'd like to talk we did start to talk about this last time you were on the show but we had a few technical issues um and which was a real shame because this is really important i think to the middle east as well and that is russia's relationships with different players in the region um so make sure you stay Stay tuned with me, James Freeman, on TNT.
0: Now. I've got got good news and and bad news. TNT
1: Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. After pulling out of the race for the Republican presidential nomination, Vivek Ramaswamy has appeared on stage with Donald Trump, where he endorsed the ex-commander-in-chief as president. India has raised grave concerns with Iran over increased attacks on cargo ships in the Red Sea. And birth rates have fallen to their lowest level in France since the end of the Second World War.
0: Don't miss a thing. Be sure to download the TNT Radio app from either the Apple App Store or Google Play so you can easily listen live to us anywhere, anytime. Available right now to download. Keeping you up to speed on TNT Radio.
1: Right, Gilbert, as I said, we had a fascinating conversation last time you were on. So remind us... Of Russia's relationships in the um, in the region of the Middle East, because it's not something the the mainstream press talk about very much.
3: The problem in making analysis of the international situation in the Middle East, as in the case of Ukraine, is that the West is changing the terms of confrontation all the time, and the Russians have been more reactive than proactive, but their reactions also are of very serious nature. In the last few days, there's a lot of rumor going on about what what Russians are doing with Iran. And I will add to that what Russians are doing with North Korea, because the prime, the uh, foreign minister of North Korea has been in Moscow meeting meeting with Bakrov and other high officials in in Moscow for a three-day visit, which is quite unusual, of course, uh, for that hermit kingdom. What we have, what we may be witnessing, although we are not privy to the facts, um, is the realization of a policy plan that was discussed on Russian talk shows a week ago, and that is that Russia should conclude um, mutual defense uh, treaties with Iran, with uh, North Korea, and with China. And if this were done, NATO would understand that the game is up. The United States is clearly plotting how it can possibly attack Iran and get away with it. If there is, in the making, and I believe that there is, a, a, a deal with Iran that goes far beyond this question of Iran supplying ballistic missiles of drones to, to Russia, it is most likely about mutual defense. That is, one is attacked, they are all attacked. That is, is taking the, the Article 5 provision of NATO and putting it in effect on the Russian side. I believe that in the coming weeks we will learn more about this, but it's entirely possible, so I remember it.
1: Yes, and of course, the other thing that you um, um alluded to when you were last on the show, wasn't it? Because I think it was a few days after Putin had visited um Xi Jinping in China. And I think there was an announcement from Russia that actually it had it was putting planes um, in the skies above the Middle East, bombers, um, which would be permanently there. Do you have an update on what's going on there? Are those bombers still in the air?
3: Presumably so. Uh, there's been no remark whatsoever that this has been discontinued. Uh, as I said, the as the West has gone for a, for a bomb approach to the conflicts uh, in the Middle East, in in uh, uh, Ukraine, that it has provoked and fueled. Uh, the 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 game has changed on both sides and the Russians are upping the ante. We heard uh, two days ago, Dmitry Medvedev, who was the uh, stand-in for, for Putin as president uh, during the period between the neutral term and what well, followed um, when the uh, Russian constitution was amended, that um, Dmitry Medvedev, who was very landlike when he was president, has of course become quite aggressive and fiercely nationalistic. And he has said two days ago that Russia uh, would, is prepared to use nuclear weapons, tactical nuclear weapons, uh, in case there is any attack uh, by by missiles on the sources of Russia's uh, missile, missile bases. Now, that didn't come from nowhere. I think it is, we may assume, that the Russians had intelligence, suggesting that such a thing is possible. Um, We we know that yesterday, Belarus has announced that it is implementing a new doctrine on use of nuclear weapons. The nuclear weapons are those which the Russians have stationed now in Belarus, going back to last summer. Um, We can assume that this is a follow-up. And in aligned with what Mr. Medvedi was saying, Russia has heard Ukrainians say that they're going to, they still have a trick or two off their sleeve, and the trick or two is not going to be that they get more high hopes. It's going to do, be that they want to do something dastardly, that has devastating effect in the Russian heartland, and the Russians are preparing their warnings that they will do devastating effect in the West.
1: The other question, of course, is, um, you know, if you listen to the mainstream media, it's all about Putin, how secure he is in the country. Um, What are your thoughts on that? Finally, Gilbert, does he still have the support of the population in Russia? And is there a um, a threat? Because last time I think you were on, there was talk and rumours in Western media about potential, um, you know, somebody overthrowing Putin from within. Um, What's his position in the country at the moment?
3: So his position is entirely solid. Um, I'd say that we see a little bit too much of Mr. Putin on Russian television. He dominates the television in a way it didn't go on before in a craven way. I'd say so I'm not very happy about that if I were a Russian television viewer. But is he popular? Well, the solidarity of the Russian people behind him as commander in chief is unquestioned. I think when we were speaking last, it was in the wake of the pre-Gaussian, uh, tempted coup. Yes, it team. was. Yeah. And there was a lot of discussion. There were a lot of analysts in the West who were uh, who were beaming because they thought that their proje- their projections, their forecasts of uh, Mr. Putin standing on legs of clay, was being borne out. But that was all untrue. It was, and it was unreasonable. It it, it it and it has been shown in the time since, in the eight or nine months since, that everything that. Uh, that made Mr. Prigozhin so um, important, so it seemed, uh, to the uh, success of Russia's military effort against Ukraine, was vastly exaggerated and failed to take into account the enormous managerial competence of the Russian Ministry of Defense. That is, um, been, that has been proven by the way that after the dissolution of Mr. Uh, forces, the Russians have proceeded to put in place, uh, the, the enormously successful defense lines, which frustrated the the Ukrainian counteroffensive. And as they are advancing incrementally now day by day. So the Russian army is very confident. The Russian military industry is far exceeding production capacity of the whole West combined, and there is no reason for the Russian public to have any doubts about the efficacy um, of Mr Putin's um, uh, administration of the war.
1: Gilbert O, thank you so much for your expert opinion, as always um, really shining a light on what's actually going on in Russia. Ladies and gentlemen, um, Dr Gilbert O, thank you Gilbert, hopefully we'll get you back on um, soon right okay we're going to take a quick break now and when we come back we will have tnt's very own basil valentine who's going to talk about the middle east and geopolitics a bit more and um, we're going to be asking the question is world war iii inevitable now so don't go anywhere stay tuned with me james freeman on today's News Talk, de DMT. weaponizing weather with reality and perspective.
5: Let's do some weather watchdog part of the climate and weather watchdog here. Europe, if you're listening from Europe, you've been freezing. Well, you got to reverse it next week. you got a January thaw coming. It's going to last into early February and then a winter rally from mid-February into March there. So there, and then we'll end it. And- We'll get springtime coming. Yes, spring is going to come. Now, for the United States, it's been absolutely brutal in the central part of the United States. This is the biggest turnaround that we've had in the United States from December to January since 1965-66. The core of that cold air is coming east over the next week to 10 days, then big January thaw shows up. You know there's a reason why they call those things a January thaw and they notice that because the atmosphere does a lot of snapping back and forth. See the old timers, and it wasn't climate change back then because they knew nothing about too much co2 in the air, actually notice these things and of course when they happen the climate extremists say oh see it's climate change and yet somehow people in the 1800s picked up on it. Australia, you've had very little effect from the El Nino this year, and there is a reason for that. The Southern Oscillation Index, and actually the tip-off was the lack of typhoons this year, that something was funky with this El Nino. In other words, we have different ways of measuring the El Nino. One is called the Oceanic Nino Index, which says we're in a strong El Nino. But the Southern Oscillation Index says we're not, which means the atmosphere in the Western Pacific, the Western and Central Pacific, has not been acting normally. Well guess what? It will turn around for February, so we'll get a month there of true El Nino weather, I think and then it'll go the other way. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got.
1: The thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes long as it's coming from love then it kind of starts to work itself out
0: the conversation continues with james freeman on today's news talk
1: tnt radio well the conversation definitely continues and i am james freeman and i'm delighted to welcome my next guest who is also um from tnt um the amazing um basil valentine hello basil how you doing
4: very well, thank you, James. Great to be with you for my debut on the James Freeman Report. It is your debut, isn't it? I've listened
1: to you loads on um, Patrick Henningsen's show and also Rick Munn's. And I've been quite jealous, to be honest with you, because I, I do think, <laughs> you know, your analysis and your insight, um, and particularly on ge- geopolitics, um, is second to none. So I'm absolutely delighted to have you on the well, show. Thank you. Right, now Basil, we've just had we've just heard from Gilbert Doctorow, um, who's an expert on Russian affairs. He's, you know, led multinational companies there for over 25 years. He has very much got lots of insight there. And one of the things that I've taken away from what we've just heard is the fact that there is now rumors that and they're not just rumors, you know, they are based upon meetings that have been taking place, but there are rumors now that Russia, China, North Korea, and Iran could be about to announce some kind of military pact in the world um what do you make of that firstly in the context of what is going on at the moment
4: well the Russians and the Chinese have got a lot closer together in recent years there's no doubt about that uh the Iranians and the Russians have got closer together uh North Korean delegates are in Moscow as we speak uh so North Korea and Russia have. Are getting closer together so all four countries are strengthening their ties and those ties are military and diplomatic as well as simply commercial I mean really it's sort of an extension in a way of Brics versus NATO that we are seeing sort of two power blocks emerge one consisting of the United States its European allies in NATO and assorted other countries some of whom like Argentina and Brazil swap sides every now and then um and pitted against them of course is russia china iran much of africa uh much of the rest of the far east so on and so forth so you know if there's gonna be a third world war and of course we all sincerely hope that there isn't the uh the, you know the the power blocks are taking shape
1: yeah now um basil obviously we've got lots going on in the middle east um i guess let's start there Um, If you can give me an update on some of the things which have been happening over the past um, few days and the past week.
4: Well, just today, uh, Tony Blinken, the United States Secretary of State, is in Davos, of course, for the World Economic Forum, uh, where he has been talking about the renewed urgency of finding peace in the Middle East. Uh, But of course, he's supplying weapons for Israel, even bypassing Congress to ensure that the flow of armaments doesn't stop. Um, at the same time, the United Nations Secretary General Gutierrez, he's been in Davos calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. That is obviously the way the wind is blowing. Uh, even Piers Morgan on his programme on Monday uh, said that he thought the scale of the devastation in Gaza was now, you know, wholly disproportionate to whatever happened or didn't happen on October the 7th, you know, 70% of the buildings in Gaza have been destroyed, that's an absolutely extraordinary number. And, of course, fuels the South African case for genocide, one of which, the elements of which, of course, is to make the whatever place it is you're targeting uninhabitable. Now, further to that, um, Blinken was asked today whether he regarded Israeli lives as being more valuable than Palestinian lives, uh, which is a key question really, given that when they made their statement at the beginning of the week on the 100 days since October the 7th, the official statements from both the White House and the State Department mentioned the hostages being held by Hamas, but made no mention of the 25,000 civilians killed in Gaza. Uh, which includes the figure of 136 children killed every day, which is an extraordinary number. And, you know, if we just think for the moment, if that was 136 Israeli children, or British children, or American children, why the response from, uh, you know, ministers worldwide, from corporate press and all the rest of it would be unimaginable. But because it's Palestinians, their lives are worth less, whatever Tony Blinken says. It is shocking,
1: isn't it? Because, you know, we've heard the propaganda machine in the West over the years. Um, we had it in Iraq, wasn't it? Wasn't it there a hospital ward where they claimed that babies were being having their incubators turned off? We've had lots of these stories Localized. over the years. And yet this, where we've got literally more i think it's more than ten thousand children have been killed um in palestine and um that's fine because it's all sanctioned by the west absolute hypocrisy there we're seeing now basil one of the questions that i've got is you know we are seeing a pullback i think in terms of the language and the stance of western countries given that this devastation we're seeing in palestine now and and the fact that they can only ignore it for so long but um, I had um Israeli MP. Um, he's uh, he's a sitting member of the Knesset in Israel, Ofer Kassif, on the show last week. And what he talked about actually is quite frightening because, of course, Israel was trying to change its constitution not that long ago. Um, there were lots of protests in the streets because essentially it was saying that it was taking away some of the safeguards of its democracy. But what he was talking about is very much um a, a path that Israel is going on, that is going down that road. For example, he was actually um banned from the Knesset for 45 days for calling a ceasefire. He was saying that um you're not allowed to protest in Israel at the moment against um the occupation, or you're not allowed to call for a ceasefire. How much do you think, you know, even if the West and its allies try and pull Israel back, based upon what you're seeing? What of impact do you think? Do you think that Israel is on a leash, that is controllable? Or do you think they are a liability to the West as well as the rest of the world?
4: Well, I do think they're a liability to, to, to the West and the whole world. And at the beginning of the week, uh, Netanyahu, uh, in his statement on the 100 days of the so-called war, uh, said not even the Hague will stop us, uh, indicating that should the International Court of Justice decide that... Uh, Uh, Genocide is on the cards in Gaza. Netanyahu doesn't care. He's going to carry on with the bombardment. Of course, this places the United States and British government ministers in an extremely dangerous position uh, because they are quite simply directly complicit. We've learned from Declassified UK that the RAF base in Akhateri has been used to supply weapons to Israel. Uh, We don't know exactly what weapons. Uh, Of course, the United States is the chief armament supplier to Israel. Now, if Israel's suddenly guilty of genocide, um, that's all got to stop. Or Biden, if we follow international law, Biden, Sunak, Lloyd Austin, that dreadful Grant Shapps who's masquerading as the UK defence secretary, they should all find themselves in the dock. But the simple fact is, Um, The United States will use its veto in the Security Council against any resolutions that the ICJ brings forward. So the whole system of international law is really um, under scrutiny here. The so-called rules-based international order is collapsing in front of our eyes and people can see it. That's the key thing. We've had a lot of talk this morning on on uh, TNT about a sort of global awakening. There's been a tremendous awakening over the last few months to the reality of the situation in the Middle East. Most people previously just sort of shrug, I don't want to get involved, I don't know much about it, you know, but to the scale of the carnage and uh, individual incidents like a doctor sawing off his own daughter's leg without anaesthetic this week, which was uh, doing the rounds on the X platform, as unimaginable a horrific scene as you can imagine. So, you know, people are, you know, starting to see things in a very different light, put it that
1: way. Yeah, absolutely terrible. Now, you talked about the world order there. I mean, my understanding of the world order is um, over the past few decades has been, America is the only superpower. It's been an overwhelming military power. So, you know, that is the thing that has kept the world in order, even though the US itself obviously has gone around invading other countries. Um, No other country would have dared to step out of line against America. But that's changing, isn't it, Basil? Because we've now got this new arms race around the world. You've got countries like iran north korea that are getting new technologies like hypersonic missile technology um nuclear capability there's all sorts of new technologies like drones and things which are very very difficult to defend against um Mm. what impact do you think is is that arms race and that sort of wider context as the us not being or it, or certainly its superpower status diminishing what impact do you think that has on this context that we're seeing at the moment
4: a very damaging one um, you know grant shaps the uk defense secretary said only yesterday that uh, the dividend the peace dividend from the end of the cold war is over and military spending around the world is skyrocketing at an alarming rate this is completely the wrong direction for humanity and the whole planet. We should be de-escalating. Blinken said today in uh, Davos that dehumanisation is, you know, one of the biggest problems facing the world as a whole, and he's right about that. I, I mean, I don't think Blinken himself is an, as inherently evil an individual as some of the others, but he's in a position where he's forced to go along with the US-Israeli agenda, which he himself supports, you know, um, and he seems to be an extremely troubled man. He says he's been given license by Joe Biden to build bridges and to re-engage with Russia and China, which of course is extremely important because we've seen over the last few years really in many ways the death of diplomacy. Lincoln is supposed to be a diplomat. David Cameron is supposed to be a diplomat. These are people for whom any kind of military action should be absolutely the last resort. But instead, throughout this century, since 9/11, which is really what changed everything, uh, military action has been the first resort. Um, you know, who would have thought in the mid-1990s, uh, you know, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, everything was looking rosy that you know the first quarter of the 21st century would be as bloody and disastrous as it has been
1: yeah exactly and you rightly talk about politics there um, and of course this year we've got we're going to see i think it's 141 elections certainly that are planned whether they all go ahead or not is a different matter but we're seeing around that number of elections and um, planned for 2024 we've obviously got probably which is going to be one of the most important of those is the US elections now trump Is a very different beast than um, the, you know, the. I would, I would say Biden, but he's not really in charge, is he? Um, So he is a different beast than the administration that's in charge at the moment. Do you think that actually could be a turning point? Because Trump has made it clear that he wants to stop this American hegemony around the world and to withdraw troops where he can. Do you think this could be the de-escalation event that we're looking for?
4: Well, one would hope so. I mean, in 2020, he ran on a peace and prosperity ticket. He didn't start any new wars, but I wouldn't imagine that uh, his support for Israel in the current massacre would be any less full-throated than Biden's. We might hope so. Um, He's got an altogether sort of folksier, more deal-making side to him than the current administration, and of course, He was vilified by the Democrats for being a Russian agent for four years. It was complete and utter nonsense. It is extremely dangerous uh, that we got to a point, and we're still there to some extent, where if you want to engage diplomatically with your so-called enemies, you are accused of being their agent. This is absolute, total nonsense. So one would hope that an incoming Trump administration, if it happens, Uh, you know, would see a return to the sort of what we now regard as sort of the glory days of the 1970s and 80s where uh, US presidents regularly met with their counterparts in Russia, China and all the other countries and people sat down and did deals and uh, looked to make a a better world, a fairer world, a more just world well that's still over the horizon unfortunately but in the short to medium term we can at least hope for a more peaceful world because at the moment we're heading unfortunately very firmly in the wrong direction led by I think the worst crop of world leaders in my lifetime I mean if you look back even the days of people like George Shultz Henry Kissinger Richard Nixon Jimmy Carter an absolute angel compared to the lot we've got in power now in this country as well
1: yeah and you rightly point out there that you know Biden they wouldn't the the reason he's not going around the world and meeting these leaders is because he's just such a weak president. He's not the one really in charge. And that is a missed opportunity, I think, for diplomacy. Um, we've got about a minute left, um, Basil. Um, can I just, I'm going to put you on the spot. Do you think <laughs> World War Three is inevitable?
4: No, definitely not. Um, and it's up to each of us as individuals uh, not to accept it. Uh, it's up to each of us not to allow ourselves to be drawn unconsciously into putting our energy into allowing or making that happen. You know, A lot of people talk about, oh, they're going to do this, they're going to do that. You know, it's up to us to decide the world we want and take back our own power
1: there you go ladies and gentlemen basil valentine says it's not inevitable and i agree with you basil thank you so much for coming on today's freeman report and to the rest of you don't go anywhere stick with us right here on tnt